My name is Kamal. I'm part of the ministry team here, Youth and Young Adults Minister. And I'm not on holidays because I've already had my holidays. Those of you who are on Facebook have seen my goofings off overseas as I went to Scotland for a conference and so on. So there you go. This is payback time from the rest of the ministry team. They leave me here to hold the fort. Acts chapter 12. If you're using the Bibles in the pews, it's page 1090. Let's pray and get stuck into God's word for this evening. Thanks, Father God, for your faithful servant, Luke, who wrote the gospel, what we call the gospel of Luke and this book of Acts. Thank you for the apostle Peter. Thank you for Paul and Barnabas and Mark. Thank you for protecting your people of all ages in, in, in all the, of time. And we pray you'll strengthen us as we think what it means to um, follow after you as pressure comes upon the church when the going gets tough. Amen. Just like Ed said when we started the service this afternoon, now we, today's the time, now's the time to think about how to keep going when we are under pressure as Christians. You see, we take too much for granted that Christianity is a tolerated and polite religion. A few, several decades ago, the West used to be like the Christian West. We used to take for granted that Christianity was a Western religion. A few decades ago, you know, after World War II, certainly after the 1960s, people were indifferent towards Christianity, but polite. Basically, it's like, if Christianity is your thing, then that's nice, don't bother me with it. Now, this millennium, you've probably noticed that we've slipped even further where Christianity is not tolerated. Christianity and other religions where people take their religion seriously is bad, is dangerous, is harmful. And so we need to be ready now for a time when saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to God will no longer be tolerated, will be sued, will be jailed for saying that. At the moment, it's legal and permissible for me to say that here in this uh, building because this is a church. I can even say it in the street, and if someone tries to beat me up at the moment, the police will be on my side. But I don't know how long that will last. Okay? How long will it be before saying that Jesus is the only way in public will be illegal? And then the next step will be saying that Jesus is the only way in private. This is a private gathering. This is a church. Okay? Even saying it here may not be legal. And if you don't know what, some of us may actually know how that feels because some of us may come from countries where the church is underground because it's a communist country or a post-communist country where still Christianity is hated. And so it's, it, it may be properly illegal, like in the Middle East, to say that Muhammad is not the final prophet, that he's actually a false prophet. In the Middle East, that's a punishable offense. If you're an overseas kind of person, you might not get executed, you might get deported, kicked out of the country, because you dared to say that Muhammad is not God's final prophet. So if you check the news, um, you'll see that in Saudi Arabia, they've used terrorist laws to say that um, anyone who says Muhammad is not the final prophet of Allah is a terrorist and will be treated as a terrorist. Now, that's, they, they meant it against atheists, which I just think is hilarious, but it's going to have repercussions on Christians as well. 
At the moment, we can say, oh, communist countries, post-communist countries, Middle East. How long before that happens here? If you're wondering why am I talking all of this, please look at the news a little bit more. Please refresh your Facebook news feeds or Twitter news feeds or get a Twitter news feed. That's why Acts chapter 12 is so useful for us today. And in this passage, we see what happens, how God upholds the church when the church is facing hard times, when the going gets tough for the people of God. Because back then, Christianity, following after Jesus, was a heretical, weird sect of Judaism. Judaism was an accepted religion because there was, you know, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, and they had a long history, and the Roman, the Roman Empire said, yeah, 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 you, you can have your religion. Don't make trouble for the empire, but you can have your religion. And then Christ, Jesus comes, he preaches, he dies, he rises, and out of Judaism comes Christianity. So for many years, many decades perhaps, in the early days of Christianity, people thought there was this weird Jesus-Messiah sect of, of Judaism. But as the Jews realized that what the Christians were saying was criticizing what they considered their religion, they realized that Christianity was a heretical sect. So the Jews viewed Christianity the same way that we who are Christians view Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's like, oh no, not them. No, no, that, that, we, they don't really believe what we believe. They're embarrassing, okay? They're different. They, they actually believe Jesus is God made flesh. The Jews don't believe that. God can't become flesh. That's the, we're, we're not like that. <coughs> Pardon me. That's how our passage opens with Jewish people persecuting the Christians. Have a look at Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Here's when the going gets tough, or more tough than it already was. Chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some, <coughs> pardon me, who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This passage, you can actually think about it. I'm going to look at this passage in terms of prayer and persecution, because that's kind of the two main themes in the passage. In Acts chapter 12, there's two types of prayer. The church of God prays to God. The people of Tyre and Sidon pray to Herod. Because prayer is just petitioning. It's just requesting someone in authority to do something. Those of us who are like English scholars, or if you had to read old English at school, you remember how in ancient English, in medieval type English, you could have written, I pray thee, O my king. You know that kind of language? That's just what a prayer is. It's requesting the government to do something. Our problem is that when we are under pressure, when the going gets tough, because we're so worldly, even the church, okay, we tend to think in terms of secular responses. So when the church is under pressure, when like, we feel oh, if the law changes, then we won't be able to tell people the message about Christianity, what do we do? We go on change.org. 
You know that website where you can start online petitions? If you don't, well, you do now, exchange.org. Okay? So you can start an online petition where you ask people to sign up on this petition and then you present it to the, to the government saying, so many people believe that um, there should not be shops open on Sunday or something, I don't know, whatever. So many people believe that, um, we, sh that we should reserve marriage between one man and one woman. Look, I, I believe, most certainly, that we should reserve uh, marriage between one man and one woman. But why do we so quickly default to the secular option of kicking up a fuss? Why don't we pray first, just like the Church of God was doing? Because that's what, that's what the Church did. We already read it in verse 5. And then verse 12, the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. You notice that the people of God gathered not to sing, not to worship, not to hear yet another sermon. They, gather, they gathered to pray. The people of God came together when the going got tough in order to petition the government of the universe, the mightiest king in the whole universe, God himself, and cry out to him to change things. They didn't bother with the secular government because the secular government was against them, just like it's going to get here and now. See, we are too much like the people of Tyre and Sidon where they petitioned the secular government, Herod, because they needed him for food. Just skip down to verses 20 to 22. I won't read the whole shooting match, but, um, um, but we'll just have a look at those passages. Actually, why not? Let me just read verses uh, 20 to 22. He, that is Herod, had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Now, when we look at those passages, there are three principles we can draw from that for how to how to engage in secular petitioning. So I'm not talking about praying to God here. If we want to get on the good side of the government, what do we have to do? First, we need someone on the inside. So you notice, they, verse 20, they secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. Now we don't know what they did to get this guy Blastus to argue their case. I suspect they promised him money. Maybe they promised him property in Tyre and Sidon. If you, if you say to King Herod that we're good, okay, and you sort of smooth the way for us, then we'll give you this mansion and this land and crops and you'll be a wealthy man. Maybe they promised him a wife, I don't know. But that's, what we, that's how you secure support at a secular level, isn't it? You've got to suck up to the person and get someone on the inside who will sort of swing the government your way. And so, okay, you know, the church is under persecution, people want to shut down school scripture and all that. Find the Christian politicians and get them to sort of, to together try and swing policy and swing the law our way. And we'll say, if you do that, well, we'll campaign for you and we'll donate to your politi political cause and um, we'll make sure that of whatever party you are that you've got the support that you need. That's the first way to go about secular, 
sort of um, way of support. And we, we use, have you noticed that even underpinning that is kind of a, I'll give you this if you give me that. It's kind of like a contractual relationship. So most religions pray that way. Have you noticed how our worldly way of thinking affect our prayers? Um, I should backtrack a bit. The Roman Catholic Church, the logic of praying to Mary and the saints is actually the logic of Blastus. The Roman Catholic Church has such a high view of Jesus, and look, credit to them, they agree that Jesus is God. Because they worship Jesus as God, he's up there in heaven, we can't approach Jesus, and so we need someone on, on the inside. Oh, Mother Mary. Moms always can hassle their sons to do something, can't they? So let's pray to Mother Mary. She's our blasters. She's our person on the inside. And so we'll pray to Mary and the saints. They can get us, cut us some favors with Jesus. That's not the Bible's way of thinking about Jesus. Jesus cares about us directly. Jesus cares about us personally. And Mary's a good woman, but she can't pray for us. She didn't die and rise for our sins. Only Jesus did that. The other way that we think in a worldly way about our prayers is thinking like this contractual thing. You have to give something to get something. Uh, they, uh, we think that we have to earn God's attention by praying a long time. We think we have to earn God's favor by saying, Oh Lord, if you give me a good boyfriend, a good bo a girlfriend, if you give me so, a good job, if you uh, help me in my exams, then I'll give, you know, double my donation to church. I'll go on a short-term mission to Thailand or something like that. I hope you've never prayed like that. If you have, please stop. Release yourself from the burden that you have to sort of beg and grovel and scrape and do something for God so he'll do something to you, for you. That makes God a politician. That makes God some greedy, grasping uh, business person who says, oh yeah, What's in it for me? We pray to God, our Heavenly Father. And those of you who are parents, you know that the kids can't do anything for you except eat your food and you know, like, you know, wear out all your stuff and spend your money. And that's what kids do. They're a drain on resources. So that's, and that's how we treat them. And we need to look after them because they're needy. That's how God sees us. We just ask politely. By all means, ask politely, but just ask. When we are in need... Go to God. Don't try and promise him anything. Just ask, and ask in expectation. And we don't need to flatter God. Oh, this is the voice of a God, not a man. The way they sort of try and suck up to Herod even more. We actually hear the voice of God when we read, read the Bible. You can, like the song said, uh, uh, God speaks, we listen. That this is the voice of God. And it's just kind of like, no problem. So um, you ha we can read it every day. We should read it every day. We should read it every minute of every day. No, we'll never get anything else done that way. But when we are in need, when we are in trouble, when the going gets tough, pray first. Don't run to secular, worldly strength. We are so quick to run to secular solutions and rely on our own strength or other people's strength, complain to the government, complain to the boss, complain to this, this and that. Why? Because that's what everybody does. The person who whinges loudest gets heard. The person who whinges loudest gets their way, isn't it? So is that what prayer is? Oh Lord, I'm going to complain loudest. Nah. 
come to God, pray to him as our good heavenly father who is more concerned for us than we are concerned for ourselves. More concerned for us all together than we are for each other. Perhaps we should spend more time praying as a church together. Perhaps we should spend more time in our small groups, our growth groups, praying together. Perhaps we should, I don't even know, do we have a whole church prayer meeting? I know we have our Saturday morning prayer groups and a couple of prayer groups that meet during the week. That's excellent. Keep it up. But do we even have a, a once a term, once a month, once a year meeting when as a church we just come together not to hear yet another sermon, but to gather together in fervent prayer? There you go. Let's petition. <laughs> Let's pray to Matt or pray to session. Petition procession that we should petition God more. When the going gets tough, the tough get praying. And as the tough get praying, the tough get trusting as well. Because God answered the prayer of the church, but they didn't believe it. Did you notice that comedy act in the middle of the passage? So God, Peter was locked up securely. Okay? Verse 4 said how Peter was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Verse 6 says they chained him between two soldiers, while two more stood guard at the entrance. Okay? And then verse 10 talks about the iron gate. Is this guy a ninja or something? You know, like special forces that they have to guard him so securely? He's just Peter. He's just a fisherman. Now, the reason they guarded him so securely is because Jesus escaped. Or they stole the body. Uh, they, no one believes that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But these Christians, oh, they're cunning. They pulled a fast one with that body. We don't know what they did with the body. We can't find it. And now they're saying Jesus is raised from the dead. We can't let Peter get out or else he'll pull another trick. So we've got to guard him good and strong. And the angel comes in and the chains just fall out. And he walks out, no problem. And he doesn't believe it. Verse 9, Peter thought it was a vision. Is it just me or is that kind of humorous? It's just kind of like, you know, he's, he's actually walking out going, oh yeah, this ain't actually happening. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. God, poke, poke, poke. Yeah, that, that didn't really happen. And it's only when he's halfway down the street, the angel disappears and he goes, this is real, this is real. He should have trusted. You pray to God, what do you expect? Silence? That's idols. Idols are dumb, mute, they can't speak. Idols are stupid. Dumb in that double entendre. They can't do anything. The risen Jesus does stuff. Peter himself did miracles. With his own words. Say the, 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 the lame man. Acts chapter 3. I got no silver and gold in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. Je Peter did miracles. What's your, come on man. You got, this is, that's just kind of funny. And if that wasn't funny. Then we get to the church. The people of God, verses 14 and 15, they're, they're gathered and they're praying. So Peter actually turns up. Rhoda goes to the door. Who is it? Hey, Rhoda, it's me, Peter. Peter? Yeah, me, Peter. It's Peter. She runs away and, and Peter's like, Rhoda, you open the door, let me in. And she goes and says to the church, everybody, God's answered our prayer. Peter's here. They go, I'll oh, be quiet. Shh, shh, we're praying. Wait, Peter, see, he, Peter at the door. Like, Shh, we're praying. It must be his angel. Shush, no. They don't, Peter doesn't believe it. The church of God doesn't really believe it until Peter actually comes in and presents himself to them. By the way, do you see the resonances with Jesus' resurrection? 
They didn't believe that Jesus' resurrection happened either until Jesus presented himself alive and he did all kinds of miracles to prove that, uh, all kinds of proofs to demonstrate that he wasn't a ghost. When you, when you, you know how people pay out on uh, the early church saying, oh, they were so gullible. They believed in miracles. So when Jesus turned up, they just said, oh, you know, oh, it's a miracle. It's a... They weren't gullible. Have a look at the accounts of the resurrection. They did not believe it at first. They responded like normal, cynical, skeptical, depressed people who had lost their leader. And here they are not gullible either. That's the comedy act. They pray, God answers, and then they don't believe it, that a miracle's happened. Why would the Bible make the early church look like idiots, look a little bit foolish and comic like this? What's there to gain? in showing the church did not believe their own prayers would change things. Nothing to gain at all, apart from honoring God, who kind of like, again, like a good father, you know, when we give our children stuff, they stuff it up, they break it, and we kind of go, whatever, and we just fix it. God is a good father like that. Patient, kind, who does not even depend on our faithfulness to do marvelous miracles. You know how some people say, you must have enough faith and then the Lord will do great things to you. If you haven't got a good job, you haven't had enough faith. If you didn't get healed, you haven't had enough faith. The church did not have faith. God did a miracle anyway. Just to protect them. Just because he cared about them and he wanted his mission to go forward. We have the privilege of doing better than the early church. When the going gets tough, when we are under pressure for being a Christian, the boss threatens to sack us, or our friends are all mocking and laughing, and we are all alone at school or whatever, or the government really genuinely is threatening to sue us or uh, take away our right to assemble as a church, officially at least. So in, high sc in, in schools, they're starting to strongly regulate um, voluntary lunchtime Christian groups, let alone scripture, so that you can't meet sort of and just do your own thing. They've, they've always been sort of teachers in charge, but now they want parental permission and all sorts of stuff. So they're just clamping down the controls more and more. As that happens, pray and expect God to do marvelous things. Don't fight, pray. Pray first. Having prayed, do better than the early church. Expect God to do marvelous things. And don't be surprised when he does. And in all of that, just keep going with God's mission. Did you notice what happened? So in the story, Herod, the big powerful king, he um, kills James, he locks up Peter. Everything looks like it's bad for the church. The church is just praying and they're not even praying faithfully. What happens at the end of the story? Peter escapes, okay, and Herod ends up dead. The highest government of the universe, God himself, will not be mocked. The highest government of the universe, God, will continue his mission. And he will mock and scorn and laugh at the secular powers that try and get in the way. Look at verses 21 to 23. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. 
and he was eaten by worms and died. Peter ends up free. Paul and Barnabas continue on the mission. So verses 24 and 25. The word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. God's mission goes on, and Herod ends up like a rotten piece of meat infested with worms. He was eaten by worms and died. Yeah, I'd die too if I was eaten by worms. Ew. That's a really ugly way of dying, isn't it? You get the point. God laughed at Herod. God, by his supernatural power, removed this idiot, this arrogant fool, who dared put himself up and accept the praise that, that only God himself deserves. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of the governments today. Sounds like a lot of rulers, individuals today. What does Psalm 2 say when Psalm 2 says the, the kings of the earth gather together against the Lord and his Messiah? Let us break off their bonds. Is God there going, ah, I'm panicking. Hide. The one enthroned in heaven. Anyone know the next, next word in the English? The one enthroned in heaven. Okay, you guys should read your Bibles, my Bibles more. It's very encouraging. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He mocks them. It's this sort of thing. In this narrative, I think it's the same point. The people of Tyre and Sidon suck up to Herod using classic secular ways of you know, trying to persuade the government to be on their side. Don't do that. Just pray. Pray to God. Pray. When, when the going gets tough, the tough get praying. When the going gets tough, the tough pray expectantly, faithfully, expecting God to answer. So don't be like the people of God in their comedy act in the middle. And when the going gets tough, we just keep doing our mission, because that's what God enabled his people to do. Peter kept, he went to another place and kept preaching. Paul and Barnabas, that's Saul, by the way, is the apostle Paul, later on, like name change. Barnabas and Saul keep going on mission. And now they've got Mark as well with them. See, God's multiplying his ministry. When the going gets tough, pray, Expect God to answer. Just get on with mission and ministry with no fear whatsoever for the, from those who, will oppose, who oppose us. God will take care of them. He laughs at them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that you give us the confidence to keep going under pressure. We pray for this nation and for our churches that at the moment we're under a little bit of pressure. It's really not that much, although it's more than we're used to. We pray as it is your will, Right now, in you know, obey, obedience to the way that your scriptures have commanded us, we pray that you will protect school scripture so that we can teach children about you. We pray you will protect voluntary lunchtime Christian groups at schools so that students aren't sort of intimidated into not assembling and encouraging each other in your name. We thank you for the numerous high school students we have in our church who are vigorous leaders of voluntary Christian groups, and we pray you encourage them, support them, and protect them. We pray for our government. We do thank you for the Christians who are in government. We pray your protection upon them, that they can act and vote and lead according to their conscience and not get intimidated into silence or dodge, uh, compromise their conscience because of the pressure on them to be politically correct. We pray for this nation 
please do not let our sexual uh, morals deteriorate, our sexual, at least the, the laws uh, regulating marriage and so on. Do, do not let it deteriorate. It's already deteriorated enough. And please do not let the freedom of religion and freedom of speech deteriorate either legally or informally in terms of cultural expectations of what can be said and what cannot be said. We pray for peace, genuine peace, in terms of uh, people having goodwill to each other. We pray you will stop the kind of violence and with those who are genuine militant religion people, thinking of the, the, the young boy who apparently, allegedly, in the name of Islam, murdered a policeman in Parramatta just a couple of days ago. We pray you will stop that and do not let that kind of actual violent, ugly extremism, do not let it reflect on us. And please, in, in the midst of all of this, protect us from fear Protect us from merely trying to manipulate things in a political sort of way. Help us to pray more, to expect great things from you, and use us in your ministry and mission. Amen.